privilege of introducing our speaker for the week, and uh, it's going to be an incredible time together. Uh, we have Eli and Mary Gojo here with us. Eli and Mary are spiritual giants in the Chi Alpha family. Um, they have been directors of Chi Alpha at the University of San Houston, or San Houston State University uh, for over 30 years. Their ministry has had thousands of disciples being, being made over that time. They have had many, many people, and I say many, I mean hundreds of people that have been called to go into overseas missions. Many Chi Alphas have been planted out of their Chi Alpha ministry, and the Lord has just blessed uh, their ministry and what they've seen. Uh, the Lord has just been good in their life. And I was, I've known Eli for a really long time. I was... I was a teenager when he came to my church. I don't even know how old I was then. I was a teenager, but I don't remember exactly. But when I was a freshman in college, I was still 18, which I guess is a teenager. And I was in college, and I went to a fall retreat. Um, we and Eli was our speaker for our fall retreat, and, and like I had grown up in church, and I had been, you know, I had grew up. I went to youth. I did all that stuff, but. My relationship with the Lord was very much nominal. And that, that little weekend retreat when Eli spoke, it, it really was a big turning point in my life. I'm sure like many of you that maybe have grown up in church, or those of y'all that have come to know the Lord in college, it's just such a pivotal stage in your life. And, and Eli was, he, he was a pivotal part in that in my life at that retreat. And I'm forever grateful for for that weekend at that retreat, and, and just it's, it's really an honor to have Eli and Mary here with us this week. Um, Mary's going to be doing a, a mega session uh, tomorrow afternoon, which I highly encourage y'all to attend as well. So let's give Eli and Mary a big Southeast Southwest. Some games and things with a number of students who had come over, and 
the phone rang. In those days, they were uh, landlines. Uh, this is a long time ago. You heard me say this. 31 years ago, I met Jesus. I'll just go ahead and tell you, I'm 51 years old, and I'm a grandpa, and I'm glad to be. And so, uh, you don't have to do the math to try to figure all that out. But this is a long time ago. This is a landline, and the phone rang, and some, one, of the, one of the students said, hey, it's for you, Eli. And um, the person on the other line, the lady on the other end of the line, identified herself as my aunt. And like a long lost aunt. She was the sister of my dad, my father, my biological father. I'd not seen or heard from him in well over 20 years at this point. And it was a really, really random call. We've not heard from that side of the family whatsoever in more than more than two decades. And she was on the other end of the phone saying, your, your father has been in a motorcycle accident. He's had head trauma. And he's in a coma down in Houston. And uh, you know we've been trying everything. He's unresponsive. He, and, and we were just wondering if you could come and perhaps try to speak to him. We were thinking that maybe if he heard your voice, if he, you know, if he heard his son's voice, it might give him hope to try to pull through and, and survive. The doctors say he's not going to survive. Would you, would you come down? Now, pause here for a second to tell you my, my mom was unwed high school when she had me. And my, my biological father was a heroin addict and, um, and, and had been for all these decades up until I got this phone call. And um, he had been very abusive to my mother. Um, I'm actually named after him. My first name is Kenneth. My middle name is Eli. She, she never called me Kenneth because she had such um, animosity towards him. Uh, you know, when you're an addict, some, sometimes you, you, you can do terrible things. He was a heroin addict um, and he, incredibly abusive. I, just, to, you know, for example, like going into her place of work and dragging her out by her hair with a knife to her throat in public, you know, so a lot of blue lights in her life and things like that. But it was a really bad scenario. And, um, you know, I'm not really, um, this is like pre-social media, you know what I'm saying? It's like you didn't, you couldn't track people. You couldn't just like stalk people. Uh, you had to actually know them or not know them in these days. And I just didn't, I didn't know them. And, um, and so, I'm, you know, I, I was a young Christian at this time. I was a few years into being a Christian, certainly a young pastor. And um, when she said, we were just hoping you would come down and try to speak to him, I... My response, I'm embarrassed to say this, but my response was, and remember, this is like out of the blue, unexpected. I, I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, man, that, like, I, I don't really consider this family, and I, I don't think I can do anything to you. I, what I was afraid of is what it would do to my mom. And, um, and then my mom had married a man who actually adopted me. So my name, Gotro, is, is my adopted dad. So I was afraid of what this would, like, do to my mom and my dad who raised me. So I, I just, I said, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't come. And he said, well, but we heard you were a Christian. Couldn't you at least come pray for him? <laughs> so, like, you know, hit me in the throat, you know, it's like throat chat. And immediately, thank God, you know, I said, well, yes. Like, or what she said, I think literally what she said is, wouldn't Jesus at least come pray for him? And I said, absolutely, you're right. Jesus will come and pray for him, and so will I. I'll be there promptly. And so I find myself going down to the hospital. Again, trauma ward, ICU, in um, Herman Hospital down in Houston, Texas. And I walk in, and it's there's family there that I don't know. And if you've never had this experience, it was like total Weirdsville. It was like grandparents and aunts and uncles, and of course they're grieving. Because you know their their family member is dying, but they're they're hugging me like you know I'm long lost son, but I don't, I don't really know them, so I, it's just strange to me. The whole thing is strange. But finally, I go into the intensive care unit there, and I'm walking and looking at folks in the beds. And if you've ever been in the scenario, it's like you know bed after bed after bed on both sides, and I'm walking through the center aisle, and it's at this point that it dawns on me that I have no idea who I'm looking for. I, I've never actually seen a picture of him, and my last interaction with him was when I was, I think, five, and, in, and that was like after having been a, a more than two years or a year and a half or something uh, of not seeing him, so I, I don't know what he looks like. 
And again, there's no social media. My mom was so, um, had so much animosity. You guys, I, I'm just telling you that we weren't Christian folks, you know what I'm saying? Like, we didn't know the gospel. So she was not going to forgive this man. She, she had burned every picture of him. It was like, it was him who couldn't be named in our home for 20 years, you know what I'm saying? So I'm walking, and I, I, I don't know who I'm looking for. And i got to actually start reading the, the tag at the foot of the bed to, to find my dad. And so I go down, and it was about three. It's like, no, 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 no. And, and the third bed on the left, it's there. It's, it's, it's actually my name, Kenneth. And, and I see him. And what I saw, like, absolutely stunned me. Like, absolutely took my breath away. And I'll never, ever forget it. And I'm going to tell you what I saw at the end of the message tonight. <laughs> so don't go anywhere. <laughs> thinking about, thinking about names, my, my oldest daughter is pregnant with her third child. And that, that'll make me grandpa times three. And we just found out he's gonna, it's going to be a boy. It's going to be a boy, and so we're in that like name storming phase, trying to trying to find the right name. I know some of your parents in the room have gone through this phase. How many how many of you would like to change your name? You like your name? Yeah. We we had some students that um, were roommates, and they were both named Michael when they when they got to college, and it was confusing, so they both changed their name in college. I, I still don't know how this happened, but they both actually changed their name. They said, you know, I always wanted to be Andrew. And the other guy said, I always wanted to be Duncan. And so they just changed their name. And I performed both of their weddings later, and everybody in college knew them as Andrew and Duncan. And when we were performing their wedding, their whole family's like looking at each other, scratching their heads. That's Michael. But when I said their wedding, I mean, they had two separate weddings, two separate things. <laughs> They just changed their name. How many have a nickname at some point? Anybody want to share their nickname? Keep it PG? Maybe G? What's your nickname? Oh, I'll never hear you. Say it loud. YOLO. All right, that's good. You like it? Anybody else? Boots. Boots. That's awesome. I can't hear anybody. <laughs> I can come down and say it again. Have, like, I thought you said boots and then you did like deer horns. Moose! I like moose. That's a good one. There's probably a story behind that, yeah? A couple, yeah. A couple, at least. The point that you saying you have a nickname. Toby, that's your nickname. Alright, I like it. We had, uh, you know, a name, a name's a big deal. Let me just go ahead and say this. In the Bible, a name means something. A name, a true name, is a reflection of character. You know, in, in the U.S., we don't really do that very often. We, um, you know, we just kind of think of, uh, you know, my, my second grandchild, uh, her, her name is Heidi, and um, my, my son-in-law's last name is Pitt. Pit. So you don't name a girl Cherry Pit, right? You got you kind of think about how it flows. I got another friend. His name is JC. He's not. He's a Christian now. He, his parents weren't Christians, but they named him JC because his last name is Lacey. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He's a college football player. JC Lacey. Like you're, you're destined for the NFL or you know TV evangelist or something. JC Lacey. And you know, most of the time, we're, we're just kind of thinking of a, a name that sounds good. You know, and you're, you're, you're thinking, I don't want my kids to be made fun of in, you know, in high school or something, or in elementary school. So you're, you're thinking of a pretty name. Sometimes Christians will try to, to, to get a name with meaning and, and just hoping that maybe their, their child will grow into that name. I think the closest thing to a real name that we have in our culture is a nickname. So, you know, nicknames are, you know, pretty common and... Uh, you know, I've, I've got one friend, his name, we call him Little John because he's six foot six and 350 pounds. <laughs> but you, you see the nickname kind of like, um, it, there's, it's, there's something about him.
that is different or unique enough to warrant some kind of name. We got another friend named Catfish, and it's catches a lot of catfish, but he kind of looks like a catfish too. <laughs> so I'm not sure exactly how he got the name. There's almost always a story behind the nickname, you know what I mean? But generally it's about an external characteristic. Sometimes we get even truer to a real name because it, 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 it involves some sort of action, or you know, you call somebody slowpoke. Well, that's something about their character, a little something. Or you call somebody lucky. Well, how many of you like to be called lucky? Well, you'd rather be called blessed, right? <laughs> but there's, there's something about them that distinguishes them from other people, and it's, it's like, recognizable enough that other people join in and say, yeah, that, that's what his name ought to be. I had a friend in high school, his name was Browse. And what his real name, but he truthfully had one eyebrow, a unibrow that took up half his forehead, so everybody called him Browse. Uh, you guys, it was in the 80s, right? I wouldn't say it was right, it was just what it was. It was you know, I'm redheaded, so I got called Carrot Top, you know, Bozo, Woody Woodpecker, stuff like that, you know, all the time, because it, it, it kind of identifies something. But in the Bible, the name goes way deeper than that. In the Bible, the name is a picture of someone's soul. It's, it's a symbol of who they are, or better yet, who they're supposed to become in God. Now, a real name ought to perfectly identify and interpret everything about you. Now, who could give such a name? Well, only God could give a name like that. Because who else could know you that intimately? And in the book of Revelation, we just read the scripture that says, if one day you and I overcome, if we ultimately are victorious, that we will one day receive from Jesus himself a white stone. The white stone is not that big a deal. It's probably white because it's pure and it's a stone because it lasts forever. But the big deal is what's on the stone, and that's your name. A name inscribed on it, a name written on it, known only to him who receives it. That will perfectly identify who you are that will perfectly describe everything about everything God has ever dreamed for you to become. Might be a necklace that you would wear or a signet ring of some sort, but it's going to have his name on it. Now the implication is there will be some people who aren't victorious, who don't overcome, and they will never actually receive the white stone, nor the new name written on it. You see, what happened um, 51 years ago when God knit me together and formed me in my mother's womb, unwed mother, but how many of you know that wasn't an accident? You might have been a surprise, but you weren't an accident. That when God formed me, when God formed you, he had a dream for what you might become. Now, a lot of you are like me, and you're thinking a whole lot more about what you're going to do. And what you're going to do is going to be amazing. But in God's mind, what you're going to do is way less important than who you're going to become. Don't misunderstand me. You're going to do some incredible things. If you walk with God, let me tell you something. If you really, really walk with God, you're going to have some adventures that blow your mind. I was just digging around in my bag and I poked my finger on a piece of stick from Saudi Arabia that some people think is actually remnant from the burning bush. I'm not making this up. I was just there. And they said, that's the burning bush, so I, I, I grabbed a little piece of the stick, and I just poked my finger on it. <laughs> the burning bush! I don't, I don't know if it was that. Some of you theologians, you, you think it was in Sinai, some people think it was in Arabia, blah, 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 whatever. It might be. 
The point is that if you walk with God, you're going to have some adventures that will blow your mind. I mean, we have more fun on accident than most people have on purpose. That's legit. Tonight, we're going to have fun. Dodgeball's going to be epic. It's going to be insane. But what I'm saying is that God is way more concerned with who you're becoming than what you're going to do. You're thinking about career, you're thinking about the future, and God's thinking about your heart. And when he made you, he had a dream. He had a, he had a name in mind for you to eventually become. And all these years, as you've been willing and able to put your heart in a soft place into the Maker's hands, He's been forming you and shaping you into that thing that He dreamed you would become. That's so far in advance of what you are now that you can't even begin to understand it. Why didn't He just go ahead and give you the name? Well, because you wouldn't even understand it right now. And until you become it, you don't get the name. Isn't that something? I was thinking about this too, because it says it. It's known only to him who receives it. That's a trip. You ever thought about that? It's known only to the one who receives it. Now, Mary is my best friend. I, we've been married for 29 years, and we were friends for three years before that, like best friends. So 32 years of our lives, we've been best friends. And her name is Mary, and um, that means bitter. <laughs> Mara, the bitter water place. Um, that's not who she is, right? I mean, it's a good name. It's the name of the mother of our Lord. So it's a good name. It's a, it's a beautiful name. But what it really means is bitter, and that's not who she is. It doesn't define her character, you see what I'm saying? So one of these days, God's going to give her a new name, and, and this is my best friend in the whole planet, but I'll never actually know her name. That's crazy. You ever thought about that? That's wild. What, like, what's the big deal about that? Why is it only between her and God? You know what? Each, each one of us, we have a secret place with God. God has a secret or will one day with you about who he dreamt that you would become. And it's not for anybody else. Ultimately, it's just for you and him. doesn't mean that other people aren't affected. Let me try to explain this real quick. One commentator said that this verse that we're reading right now was, it, it's like the essence of Christianity. Because it speaks so intently about our individual relationship with God. How many are glad that God doesn't just talk to us like a salt conference? He talks to us individually. Isn't that amazing? But it's not just our individual relationship with God. It's our peculiar relationship with God. What do I mean by that? I mean that each one of us have a relationship with God that's, that's different than anybody else's. So part of God's dream when he made you or when he made me is he took a piece of his image. We were created in the image of God. He, he took a piece of his image and he put it inside of you that he didn't put in anybody else. That you and I are actually, we're, we're absolutely unique before God. It's like a piece of his heart was imparted to us and not given to anybody else. So what does that mean for our, for our family here, for our friends, for our Chi Alpha ministry? What it means is that if you don't grow up into who God made you to be, the whole body misses a piece of God's heart that they'll never see anywhere else. In that sense, it's like, you know, God, there's a place in your heart only God can go, but it's, it's kind of like there's a place in God's heart that only you can go. Isn't that wild? Are you, are you tracking with me? What, what does that mean? What, it, it means that you don't have to know God like anybody else. You don't have to know God better than anybody else. You've got to know God like he made you to know God. And when you do that, and when I do that, and when we do that, we may not, have, we may not know everybody's name, but we're going to see the glory of God reflected in our countenance and our being. So it's kind of like this. If you, you, you go in to the Holy of Holies. If you don't understand the imagery, don't, don't sweat it. But if you go in to the Holy of Holies as a high priest and you meet with God and you come out after that silent and awful speech with God, after that intimacy in the secret place with God, radiant like Moses coming down off the mountain, nobody needs to know your name. What they need to see is the glory of God. 
Now, the fact that nobody knows your name is pretty cool because guess what? That leaves no room for ambition in the kingdom of God. There's no room for ambition. But ambition is to be better than somebody else. But there's tons of room for aspiration. Aspiration needs to be higher. Ambition needs to be higher than my, my, my buddy. So I don't need to know God better than my friend or like my friend. I need to know God like he made me to know God if I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm going to run out of time. We've got to move. I, I don't know biblically whether or not Peter got his white stone name early in John chapter 1 or if he's got a different name. But if you remember the story in John chapter 1, the very first time that Jesus saw Simon, son of John, he renamed him. You remember this? Andrew had, had you know, been with John the Baptist. He saw the Lamb of God that takes take up the way the sin of the world. They spent time together. The first thing Andrew did was go get his brother Simon. He brought him to Jesus. That's awesome, isn't it? And then Jesus, it said, looked at Simon. The, the word there, looked, is actually the same word. If you know the story, if you remember the story later at the crucifixion or at the trial of Jesus, when the servant girl looked at Peter. In other words, she stared at him. So Jesus looked at him. You know what he was doing? He was actually looking into him. He didn't just notice him. Maybe it was like he looked at him, see? Like he looked at him and looked into him. And what Jesus said, first words out of his mouth were, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or rock. Catch that? You are this, but you will be that. Right now you're this, and you're, you're Simon. That's your name, and I, I know all about that, Jesus was saying. I know, I know what Simon means. I know about your reputation on the lake. Simon, you know, up one day, down the next. In one day, out the next. You know, you flip, put foot in the mouth. You know, inconsistent, unreliable. I know what everybody says about you. I know what your family thinks about you. I know what the you know, your business partners say about you. This is what you are, but I'm going to tell you right away, first be what you're going to be. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be something that I can build upon. You see, Jesus goes straight to character here. Not just what you're going to do, but what you're going to be. Who you're going to be. And I don't know if that's his, like, ultimate name, or if there's something even more expressive, but I just can't wait to see what God has had in mind for me and for you all along. You are this, yeah, that's true, but you will be that. How many want to be an overcomer? Yes. How many want to see that white stone or that new name written on it? Okay, so Mary's going to come and help us think about how to be an overcomer. You guys welcome Mary.
How do we become what Jesus has dreamt for us to be? Okay, I'm gonna give us probably two, potentially three, depending on how quickly I can go through this. How do we overcome? First thing, ready? You've got to be born again. And all of the church kids just checked right out. You've got to be born again. <laughs> you've been hearing this your whole life, but listen, you've got to be born again. It is for real, it is vital. You don't even start the race until you are born again. We are not making this up. We are not saying it just because we all have already said it. We're saying it because it says plainly in John chapter three that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven until they are born again. That means simply this, we have to die to ourselves and let Jesus be the Lord and Savior of our life, amen? We have to die to ourselves and let Jesus be the Lord and Savior of our lives in order to be forgiven and set free from sin. Here's what I want to say tonight. The terrible danger for us, especially for people in amazing, incredible community groups like Chi Alpha, there's a real danger. And it's this. We can come around for years and years. The whole time we're in college. You can go to church your whole life and just assimilate to the culture without ever actually surrendering your heart or life to Jesus. There are so many people all over the world, all through history, who have done this. So let me make up a totally fictional example to try to explain this. Imagine a freshman comes waltzing onto campus one day for the first time during Welcome Week. Can you, can you picture it? They meet a couple of students, they're wearing these very fabulous t-shirts, and they offer to help move this guy into his dorm room. So they're plugging the mini fridge up the fifth flight, right? Are you with me? Seeing it in your mind? And one of the guys carrying the fridge says to the new kid, hey, you should come with us to a party that we're having tonight, me and my friends. And the kid thinks, yay, this is what I've been waiting for. Like, they're in college and they're gonna go to the party the first night. But they find themselves going to this party and realize, what's Chi Alpha? What's this G Alpha? What's Chi Alpha? <laughs> And it's not the party they expected. It's a party where everyone's just hanging around, talking, laughing, eating, playing goofy games, being goofy until very late hours of the morning. But these people are very nice and so honoring and so kind, not like anybody this kid has ever met before. So before long, this guy actually finds himself with his new small group all the time. And before he knows it, Go with me, this is fictional. He's drinking strong black coffee. He's wearing chocos. He's not clapping. He's doing a boom snap. Yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody quit, so I knew I could say it. He's growing out a beard. He's talking about F.W. Warren. He's raising money to go on a summer missions trip, just like everyone else. Totally fictional. But after he graduates, listen, he moves away from all of his friends. He puts his chocos in the closet to put on some real shoes to go to work. <laughs> and he finds himself alone. Was any of that real? He finds himself getting back into all of his old habits, never finding community, and soon it was like none of it ever happened at all. You see, he might have made some awesome new friends and bought a new pair of shoes, but his heart was never changed. He was never transformed by the love of Jesus. He was never transformed by the power of Jesus. What I'm saying is we've got to be born again. We're never going to become anything but just a terrible thing without starting with Jesus in our hearts. We must be born again. Secondly, now that we've been saved by the grace and love of Jesus Christ, here's what we've got to do. We've got to put our minds on God. We've got to learn to put our minds on God. Sometimes you hear people say, we've got to have a mind in love with God. Sometimes you might hear people say, we've got to have a real devotional life. You hear it called all kinds of things, but the idea is to put your mind on God. If everyone who was a Christian understood this, this principle of a mind and love with God, a real devotional life, the world would be a really different place. We're looking to politics, we're looking to education, we're looking to all kinds of things. But if 
if Christians really understood this, the world would become a very different place. Some people brush this aside as unnecessary. Some people think, blah, 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 we keep saying that, mind and love of God, what does it mean? Other people have really good intentions, yet never follow through. And many more people just honestly, entirely misunderstand the concept. We sometimes in church have a mistaken idea that we have to come to the large group meeting to be fed. Anybody ever thought that or, or seen someone that did? A lot of people mistakenly think that the minister or the teacher is the only one qualified to teach us and help us grow. But that, that's just not true. It was never meant to be the pastor's job to carry everybody in his flock on his or her back until heaven. It's one thing for a baby to be dependent on his parents to feed him with a bottle, but it's an entirely different thing for a grown man or woman to still need someone to put the bottle in their mouth or they're going to die. Right? We have to learn to feed ourselves daily if we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, if we want to become what God is dreaming for us. Not only is this a problem, just even understanding what a devotional life is, hear me, we've got to understand that every single day we're battling three really powerful forces. We're battling the enemy, who is Satan. Some people don't even believe he's real. He is real, and he hates your guts. He actually doesn't care anything about you. Let me rephrase that. He hates God's guts. And therefore, he wants to kill all of us to break God's heart. We are battling against him every day. We're battling against the world, which is this giant circus of temptation and untruth. And not only that, but we're battling our own incredibly sinful flesh, which, even when we are born again, has to be quieted every single day and which desperately wants everything the circus offers, right? We just had Christmas. Does anybody else love Christmas as much as me? I love it. And Eli has had to institute a rule in our life that Christmas cannot come out until Thanksgiving has gone up because I, I think I would have the tree up. It's just for my own well-being because I think I would have the tree up all year long. I love Christmas. Anybody else love to watch Christmas movies? I love them all. I love the more singing, the better. That's my motto. Have, did you watch Elf? Yes. Everybody loves to watch Elf. It is so funny for the first time, right? And then it's like a terrible downhill slide. But I'm getting, I know you've seen this movie, and so I want you to imagine with me. Remember when he's in Gimbals? And he is so excited. Betty the Elf is so excited because Santa is coming. Santa is coming. And then he's so disappointed and also angry because it is not Santa at all. And do you remember what he yells at the fake Santa? You sit in a throne of lies. He's so mad at him. I wanted you to remember that, that scene, but what, what I want you to know is that is actually true of Satan. He really does sit on a throne of lies. The Bible says that he is a liar. Not just that, but the father of all lies. He has done a long, I'm talking about the enemy of your soul. He has done a long and patient job of constructing a huge web of lies and deceit on this earth, trying to trap every one of us. The world around us, the phone in your pocket, the news on your computer is all telling you shiny, deadly lies, and we eat it up all day long. So let me ask you this. Why was Buddy the Elf able to call out the fake Santa? <laughs> he actually really knew the real Santa, didn't he? He'd grown up with him. He knew Santa. And so he could tell when it was not the real Santa, a fake Santa. Do you know God? Do you know his voice? Are you able to differentiate between someone telling you a lie and someone telling you the truth? As followers of Jesus, we have got to immerse. I'm talking about having a mind in love with God. We have minds full of everything else. Lies, lies, lies. If you don't know it yet, once you start knowing God more, you're going to see it as plain as day. We have got to have minds immersed in light and truth. We have to let Jesus do his good work in us. 
and on us. Do you know that in Ephesians chapter 5, this is the book you need to know. You need to love it and read it and read it some more. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says this. Do you know this? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. That's us. Those of us who are born again. Cleansing us by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What are we becoming? How wonderful is that thought? He cleanses us and washes our minds clean through his word. Some of us have minds, it's already been alluded to tonight, some of us have minds that are so full of anxiety and fear day and night. Some of us have minds that are going almost insane with wanting to stop doing the things that we are addicted to, but falling back into the same terrible habit every day. Some of us have minds that are so full of anger and unforgiveness and self-destructive thoughts. Don't you want to let Jesus make your mind lovely and clean and pure? He's the only one who can. We're talking about having a mind in love with God. Listen to what Francis Schaeffer says. I am so sorry, this is a little bit long, and I forgot to put it on the screen, but please bear with me. This is from a book called True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. True spirituality in the Christian life is basically a matter of our thoughts. True spirituality always begins on the inside, right here in our thought world. The external is just the expression the result of what happens right here. Those things seen outwardly in our lives, the things that we do, are always the product of what was first thought. Therefore, thoughts are primary. They are central. He goes on to say this, let us understand how important is the world of thoughts. It is this that distinguishes me as a man in contrast to a machine. The spiritual battle, the loss or the victory, hear this, the battle, the loss of it or the victory, it is always here in the thought world. Ideas are the stock of the thought world. And from ideas, first forth all the external things, painting, music, buildings, the love and hating of men in practice, and equally the results of loving God or rebellion against him in the external world. So the battle for people is centrally in the world of thoughts and ideas. What is your mind on? We've got to have a mind that is in love with our God. We've got to have minds that are full of truth and light. Let me just give you a couple of very easy, easy concepts here. I love retreats, don't you? I mean, I love coming. I could go to them every day of my life. I could, I could sing for one hour, and then hear preaching for an hour, and then I could sing again for an hour, I could do it forever. And maybe that's what heaven is going to be. It's going to be one giant song, I think. <laughs> but what about the other days? Because we don't actually get to do it all the time, do we? And I love the, the, the mountaintop kind of highs that we have, but what about when we leave here? What do we do then? How do we put our mind on God? When these wonderful people do not follow us around all the time, leading us in worship, what do we do then? Well, let me just give you a couple of quick things. We have to get serious about filling our minds with truth, don't we? We've got to get serious about practicing this thing called a mind in love with God, a real devotional life. And it's very simple. That's what makes it so hard. <laughs> the basic elements of a healthy devotional life include, you can guess it if you try, prayer and study. If your prayer life is non-existent, set some goals for yourself and be disciplined to actually reach them. My key for this is make an easy goal so that you have a win, <laughs> and then make a new goal. For example, make a pledge to pray for 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes, that's not hard. Write a list of people and things to pray for, and then set to it. You're gonna be amazed that once you do this for a few days, 10 minutes is not enough. <laughs> Prayer seems really difficult and maybe even boring until you actually do it, and then you find out you're not talking to yourself or just into the air, you're actually talking to God, and God is talking to you. Not only that, hear this. Eli mentioned we really are all in this together. 
We're learning to know God together. We're reflecting God to one another together. So praying for each other is the often overlooked bridge to building real love and relationship with people. God really does supernatural things when we pray. When we begin to honor his presence, the concept of praying without ceasing becomes easier to understand and achieve. If you foster an attitude of thankfulness throughout the day, how amazing would that be instead of our constant cycle of criticism and complaint? If we replaced it with a constant cycle of thanksgiving and gratitude. God is good. And we oftentimes miss hundreds of opportunities to recognize his faithfulness in our lives. Strive to put your mind on him all day, every day, and it's going to change your life. That's prayer. Putting your mind on God, talking to God, bringing your needs to God. That's prayer, and it's lovely and wonderful. We sure talk about it a lot. Let's actually do it. Study is way more than just occasional reading. It's a deep engagement of the mind. Dig into this Bible. Pick a section of the Old Testament. It's, what is it? Is it January? It's January 2nd, right? We only missed one day. You still have like an hour and a half or more of today left. Pick a section of the Old Testament to read and try reading or try reading the whole New Testament at a stretch. It is not very long. Sometimes we think, oh no, I can't do it. But some of these books are like one page long. You can do it. Read the whole book from cover to cover this year. What a great New Year's resolution that would be. Try reading some Bible commentaries. Have you ever tried those? Your depth of understanding will be greatly increased. Read books written by the saints throughout the ages who've lived and walked with God before us. Their wisdom, their understanding, their experience is all there on record to edify us. That's why it's there. Stretch your mind. Think deeply about the Lord, about his character. Think about his word and about his promises. Think of this in terms of an athlete. Nobody can approach the pull-up bar for the first time and do 20 pull-ups, right? But with training, with conditioning, with time, with discipline, one pull-up gives way to two, then four, then eventually the 20 that seemed so impossible becomes a reality. I'm talking about how do we become what God dreams for us to become? How do we know that we're going to be loving Him, saving to Him just as fervently as we were 30 years from now, 300 years from now, 3 million years from now? We've got to put our minds on God. We're not called to be an ignorant, brainless body of believers. We can have the mind Step by step, day by day, we build ourselves up in our faith and our understanding through a disciplined and purposeful devotional life. I'm going to do one more, okay? It's so fast. And then Eli's going to come back. It's so fast. we got to be hungry for God. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? We just had Christmas. Did anybody overeat? Oh, I hope you got to eat your favorite things, made by your favorite cook. And if you didn't, and if you don't have any great memories like that, well, I hope you're going to find your own recipe. So someday, you can make the favorite things for the people that you love. I'm talking about being hungry for God, but let's talk about food for just a second, because we're going to have snacks later. My favorite dish in the world has always been my grandmother's sweet potato and apple casserole. Even when I'm standing here telling you about it, I feel like my mouth is not watering and I'm smelling it in my mind. It is so, so very bad for you. It is so bad for you. <laughs> but it is so good. It's so delicious. It starts out very nice and healthy with apples and sweet potatoes and then woo, it gets smothered with butter. It gets smothered with brown sugar and this like deliciously crumbly, crunchy crust. And it bakes into the most delicious food of all times. I remember when it was holiday time, Thanksgiving, Christmas, going to bed the night before, honestly, many nights before, thinking about that casserole. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Can you relate to this with something that you love to eat and it's special? I actually remember waking up early in the morning, which is very odd, a 10 to 
we can make that decision. I actually remember standing there with the light on in the oven, watching it, <laughs> waiting for it to come out, almost drooling, and when we finally sit down to pray, we're like, Dad, speed it up, speed it up. You want to dive into your faith. Can, can you go with me spiritually on this? What if we became that hungry for God? We're hungry for a lot of things that aren't going to help us become what God wants us to be. Oh, we're hungry for a lot of things that are actually killing us. What if we became hungry for God? What if we went to bed at night thinking about the goodness and grace of Jesus? What if we made that a new habit? Laying down, when I hit the pillow, I'm not going to grab my stupid death trap phone. I'm going to think about the goodness and grace of God until I fall asleep and dream about Him. <laughs> what if we got up early to be with God? What if we eagerly awaited what the Holy Spirit was going to do next in our hearts? What if we became like David, who was called a man after God's own heart, and said, as a deer pants for the streams of water, my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for you, God. When can I go and meet with God? So I'm walking in the hospital, right? Remember? <laughs> I look at my dad, and what I see takes my breath away because it's like looking into a mirror on this big image. My dad, I don't know what I expected, but I did not expect that. I mean, like, he had head trauma, so his hair was shaved. Big red beard, pointy nose, and bony cheeks. I mean, it was like the same. Exactly the same. about this because it's like his blood flows in my veins and it doesn't matter if it's nature versus nurture because I grew up in the same neighborhood 
same like socioeconomic status, same high school, you know, when, when, all the same stuff. So nature, nurture, I'm, I'm the same. And what God showed me was a picture of my future without Jesus. You see, most people think Jesus just saves you from your past. But Jesus actually saves you from your future without him. Because we're talking about what we're becoming, and we're, we're preaching about becoming more like Jesus, but there's the other way too. Of becoming less and less and less like Jesus. I need to finish the, the story, although the big point is that most people don't get to see their future. I got to see the future of what life without Jesus would be like. To finish the story, I, I grabbed him by the hand and I introduced myself and prayed for him, tried to share the gospel with him, made sure that he knew that there was no unforgiveness in my heart or bitterness in my heart, that he was loved, and that if he would cry out to Jesus, that Jesus would receive him. I, you know, there was, there was no, like, opening of the eyes or facial or squeezing of the hand. There was just nothing. There was no response whatsoever. Two days later, he passed. And, um, I, you know, for years, I just was completely hopeless about that whole scenario. And I, just to finish this point, to not leave it hanging, I, I talked to a lady who's actually the pastor's wife, Godly godly lady who was a trauma nurse her whole, her whole life for decades. And I, I, I told her that story over dinner and said nothing happened and you know, it didn't, didn't work and, and she got all up in my face and said, you don't know what they hear when people are in comas. You, don't, you have no idea what he heard nor the response of his heart. And she, she, she said that she said, Eli, don't be surprised if you, if you see your dad that was the first time I had hope, so um, I, I, I don't know, but I do have a glimmer of hope. Back to, back to us right now. The prophet Jeremiah, speaking for God, said, you will seek me and find me. When? Does anybody remember the rest? When you, when you seek me with your whole heart. And he said, are you? Wholeheartedly. There was a, one, one final story we're going to worship and pray. There was a young man who was struggling in his walk with God. He, he, he was not very consistent. He was trying to, he wanted to be more consistent, but he was kind of in and out. He'd be on fire one day and then not on fire the next and dealing with some stuff, you know, in the world. And he went to his grandpa, his grandpa was, was a man of God and had been for decades, had a solid walk with God. So he went to his grandpa, sat on the porch like they often did and talked. He said, Grandpa, I want to, I want to be more like you. I want to be steady in my walk with God. I don't know why I'm not, I'm not steady. And grandpa, like he always did, he answered, he didn't really answer the question. He, told the story. He said, you see that dog there? My dog, Max. He's like, yeah, Grandpa, I see the dog. He said, one day a rabbit ran by through the, through the yard. They kind of lived in the country. And Max jumped up and started chasing the rabbit. And then next thing you know, the folks across the way there, their dog, they got two dogs, they, they jumped in and started barking and chasing. And then, sure enough, down the road a little bit, so-and-so's dog and, and the other dog before long, the whole neighborhood, you know, there were like 20 dogs chasing that rabbit, barking and carrying on. And, but he said, but one by one, those other dogs, they just kind of peeled off after a while. Kind of gave up the chase, you know. But not Max. Max kept chasing that rabbit all day long. You see, son, you know what the difference is between Max and those other dogs? And he said, no, Grandpa, I don't know. Why did those other dogs stop 
the chase, Rambo said, because they never actually saw the rabbit. somebody else that saw the rabbit. Mary told that story, a fictional account about people that served God in college and then forget about Jesus. If you see him, I mean like see him, who he is, Jesus in his beauty, his magnificence, his worth, he is the most loving, awesome, beautiful, wonderful, mighty, powerful, scary being in the whole universe. If you see him, if you see him, you'll never stop. You'll never stop. I think this week, the next 48 hours, ought to be about chasing after God wholeheartedly. You're saying, God, you got a dream for us? We want to become everything that you dreamt. <laughs> Reveal your glory to us, Lord. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you manifest your glory? Would you show us how beautiful and wonderful you are? We don't want to be those, Lord, who just assimilate. We want to be born again. We want to have a mind in love with you. We want to be those who, in reality, hunger after you all the days of our life so that we are overcomers. One day we want to receive that white stone, that new name that will perfectly describe everything that you drank for us to become. We want to be victorious in that, Lord Jesus. So help us in the next few hours to seek after you to run out.